0: Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Pod Medic, and this is the last episode we're going to record this year as we uh, take off the final week for the holiday. Now, we do have an episode we will send to you next week, so uh, you'll still get an episode from us, but um, we're going to take the holiday off for recording and jump back in after the new year. But the best news of all is we've got the whole band back together. It's like awesome. Um, So... I'll leave it to Sam to tell you who's with us. Hey, Sam.
1: Oh, my God. I'm so happy. It's been so long since we had everybody here. And it's a great Christmas gift for Jamie and I. We've been you know, talking to each other for many months. And we haven't had our... <laughs> Joe says, it's dark and I'm wearing sunglasses. Well, that's Dr. Joe. Uh, hi,
2: Joe. Hey, guys. Yeah, the band's back together. We're headed to Chicago on a mission from God.
1: We have to tell you the absence of the Podwins is such that they were making a larger family and she's the cutest
3: thing you've ever seen.
1: And Kyle, oh my God, where have you been, sir?
3: Oh gosh, I've been uh, having all kinds of fun up here in the mountains, Sam, all by, by snowcat, by snowmobile, by helicopter and everything in between. Uh, it's been a, a really, really fun summer and fall, but uh, good to be back together with the team
1: hope we can keep you around we know as winter comes on you're going to get busier and busier but we know what becky and dan have been doing so hi miss becky
4: hello hello
1: and and dan have you had any sleep yet
4: (laughs) you know we've been doing pretty well overall i think some nights better than others but well they have
1: the cutest kid i think i've ever seen so just saying i'm not biased or anything
5: I mean, we're definitely biased,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I tell you one thing, Kyle, I don't know about you up in the high country, I can only imagine, but tomorrow will be the coldest day I think I've ever experienced. It'll be a high of zero and a windchill of potentially minus 25. How is it going to be up there for you?
3: Well, Sam, we're actually gonna be a, a few degrees colder for our high temperature up here, but uh, it's a combination of not just cold air temperature, but very, very strong winds uh, moving into uh, across Colorado here in the midweek, bringing life-threatening cold temperatures and major impacts to travel as we approach the holiday weekend.
1: Yeah, isn't that just lovely timing? So Dan, what is going on with this weather? And it seems like we were talking to Joe earlier. He's even pretty cold down there in Memphis. So where is the storm going? And and then we'll talk about what it's likely to do.
4: Yeah, it's a really big deal here leading up to the uh, Christmas weekend. This is uh, one of the, probably the most major storm I've seen in many years. Uh, it's probably going to rival some of the historic storms like the great blizzard of 1978, which dumped a couple feet of snow in the Midwest, not to be confused with the Northeast blizzard of 1978, which came a week after. But uh, this is a major storm. And really, as Kyle mentioned, life-threatening cold temperatures with temperatures falling well below zero across the Northern Rockies, the Northern Plains, the upper Midwest uh, Wednesday through Friday, and then uh, that will work its way east. Doesn't look like we'll go below zero in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, but temperatures in the single digits—one of the coldest Christmases in many years, maybe even a couple decades in some places. And Joe, I think you're cold now. Uh, just wait till till later in the week when temperatures fall into the single digits in the Memphis area. We're going to be below freezing all the way down to the Gulf Coast, uh, freeze down into the Orlando area of Florida, um, and then just really some. Howling winds on the backside of this storm. Most places will not be spared, the exception being the uh, the West Coast, which will, or I should say, maybe California, because Seattle had snow today and Vancouver, Washington had a foot of, I mean, uh, excuse me, Vancouver, uh, Canada had a foot of snow uh, here on Tuesday. So lots of winter weather, really dangerous travel, unfortunately, coming at a very bad time with uh, the holiday travel here coming up this week. Yeah, I can
1: imagine that's going to affect a lot of the. Lottery airports, too. But, Kylie, why are we getting any snow? I mean, you'd think with it being this cold, there's, why is there no precipitation unless you're getting it in the high country? We're not getting it in the front range.
3: Oh, right on, Sam. So, yeah, absolutely. So, snow is definitely uh, part of this system uh, from largely the continental divide off into the western part of Colorado here in, in our neck of the woods. Um, but we're not going to get a ton of snow out of this system uh, accumulation-wise for a couple of reasons. One is with all the wind, there's going to be a ton of blowing and drifting going on. So, it's going to be uh, really difficult for uh, to, to get that nice coating blanket of snow. It's going to be very, very uh, wind direction and uh, terrain dependent. But also some of the the air temperatures where the levels of the atmosphere where snow typically will form in the clouds, it's actually so cold that the snow crystal types that are forming are actually not going to be those big like stellar dendrites right? So like the big, like typical snowflakes that you might think of are the ones you fold up a uh, a piece of paper and then you cut some triangles and shapes out of the side and unfold (laughs) it and right that that's that kind of snowflake is what I'm talking about, right? And that allows snow to accumulate super deep, super quick, um, because there's a lot of air gaps in between. But uh, this storm, as it rolls through, we're not going to get those big crystals. So not super deep snow, but lots of snow that's going to blow around and really wreak havoc.
1: So it's too cold to snow. That's just weird. So, Joe, I don't think you're getting snow in Memphis, but what are you expecting there?
2: Uh, Well, as you heard, just uh, bitterly cold temperatures. I think a low of 2 and a high of 19 on a couple of days there. So several days uh, well below freezing, which is fairly unusual for Memphis. Uh, I think a slight chance of snow, which is also unusual for Memphis, particularly this time of year, but might make for a a fun Christmas present. And drivers will go nuts.
1: Oh, my God. So, Jamie, what about the – you're not as cold there, I guess, on the the East Coast. It's
0: it's weird because it looks like according to the weather I have here in Maryland, it's going to be – we're going to have a day of, like, 50-degree weather on Thursday and into Friday with some rain. And then it's going to drop – something like 30 degrees and or farther into Saturday, Christmas Eve. Um, that's probably similar to what you guys are probably going to see up in um, Pennsylvania, right, Becky? Yeah, we're going to get
5: pretty chilly from what I understand. It's going to be some interesting diurnals where we'll start out, I don't know, in the 40s, 50s maybe, and then drop probably around 50 degrees total. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing here is not so much the, uh, difference between the, the high and the low, but how quickly the temperature is going to fall. If there's any type of precip on the ground, any type of moisture on the ground, it's going to freeze very, very quickly and suddenly, and that can cause significant travel issues, um, on a, you know, a time of year that a lot of people are going to be out on the road driving. So it's just something to be very cognizant of, um, pay attention. And if you can alter your travel plans, whether they're driving or flying, now would be the time to do so. And I don't know if Dan wants to touch on that a little more regarding uh, airports and how they're going to be impacted by this storm.
1: We can do that. Jamie has a question, though.
0: Yeah, I was curious about the, you know, when weather, when the temperature drops or changes that quickly, is that what causes the heavy winds that we're expecting to get along with this storm?
4: Not it, not directly, be interested to see if Kyle wants to add anything to, to what I'm going to answer here, too, or Becky. Um, but, no, the, the, uh, the, the strong winds in this case would be caused by the, uh, s- the significant difference in pressure. Like, if you look at a weather map, usually you see, like, a high-pressure and low-pressure system. In this case, we're going to have a very strong area of low pressure and a very strong area of high pressure to the west. That's helping to really plow this cold air southward, so that difference in pressure. Um, helps to really drive uh, those strong winds and, and cause those strong winds, and then those winds help usher in that cold air um, from, in, in this case, from the uh, from the west, and going to cause the issues that Becky talked about.
0: Yeah, that's what I've just. I that we're getting more war- warnings about the wind and the cold than anything else. Um, right. So, Absolutely. just wondering about that.
1: So, I, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit um, with with uh, joe and becky so joe we're talking about temperatures that most of us have never experienced um how does one stay safe how do you know when you're too cold um i mean it's obvious we need to wear a lot of layers and so forth but most people haven't ever been in a situation where they can have frostbite that may occur in five minutes we am going to talk about that
2: sure uh and and, uh you you know you you touched on it it's it is very much about protection i think the the challenges with cold is uh particularly if you don't spend an awful lot of time in it and and don't appreciate how quickly it can affect you uh for example I, i have a friend that lives in uh Denver and uh, spent some time in the hot tub outside in 15-degree weather. It was wonderfully warm in the hot tub, but he got frostbite on his earlobes in just about 15 minutes uh, and didn't even realize it until later when he had pain and et cetera. So it's very much about uh, uh, protecting yourself and being aware that as the tissues uh, get cold, you tend to lose sensation. Uh, and that is a progressive-type injury, so you need to be paying attention to that and, and uh, get yourself warmed up or re-warmed as soon as you possibly can.
1: Well, Kyle and I know, having worked Key Patrol, and he, of course, still does, that it's real easy not to realize that you're getting frostbite, but when you start warming up, it hurts like hell, right, Kyle?
3: Absolutely, it does, right? And that's... You know, when we before we get into frostbite, right, the the first sort of foray into that, if you will, is frostnip, right, and that's when you start experiencing uh, some loss of feelings uh, in the in the tips of you know your fingers, your toes, your earlobes, the tips of your nose, right, um, capillary-fed areas of the body that are are very fa- uh, very much out on the extremities. Uh, side of things, and you also may even experience like a white or like a pale looking uh, appearance of of those digits and and those body parts, and that's the, the body's sign telling you, hey, I'm I'm too cold, right? You need to be moving inside, not just pushing through it. Um, We we've actually already seen a few cases here uh, in on our mountain that uh, we just opened last weekend, but on our mountain we've already seen both employee and guest cases of frostnip and uh, even some first degree frostbite with the cold temperatures that we've had already here in Colorado.
1: So what are you expecting this weekend? Many much more of the same?
3: <laughs> well, it's uh, we definitely expect it uh, here on Thursday, which is gonna probably be the cold, coldest day for us uh, uh, here on the mountain, especially with the wind chill factored in. And uh, for folks that may not be prepared for that, because right, it it is so anomalously cold, like tens of degrees below normal, uh, for a lot of folks that are visiting from out of area. Um, hopefully, uh, they'll they'll take those precautions. But we'll be out looking for those uh, types of injuries, doing a lot of preventative contact with folks to right keep them from getting to those stages and really ruining their day or possibly their entire vacation. So prevention here is key. That's right. If
1: people know what to do, but Joe. Coming from an ER doc, um, how do you handle these various cases of frostnip? I'm, I'm sure they don't come to you when they have something at that level, but we're talking about deeper levels of frostbite and so forth and so on. Uh, how much do you see, and what do you do about
2: it? Well, the the they can be very challenging to deal with because the you know as the tissue uh, freezes, it it. Clearly damages the cells and and ruptures cells. So uh, the the approach generally is to rewarm um, in in sort of a controlled circumstance. The thing you have to be careful of is that you don't want to um, warm the tissue up and then have it freeze again. That is substantially more um, damaging. Uh, so it, it's. You tend to be better off to wait until you're sure you can rewarm it and keep it warm. Uh, and then it's uh, it's wound care uh, and that sort of stuff. The, the tissue will tend to demarcate itself. The tissue that has frozen and died will tend to um, make itself apparent over the next few days. And, and that may well mean that, you know, fingertips and tips of noses and ears and that kind of stuff actually... Um, uh, become an eschar and come off, uh, and then it's just simply aggressive wound care after that. So it's trying to prevent any further damage and uh, trying to rewarm the tissues as quickly as is reasonable without being concerned that you may refreeze. So that's a challenge out in the field where you may have a long time before you're in an environment where you can be sure that you won't uh, get refrozen.
1: And, of course, the first responders out there who are out there quite a bit and will be, um, they've, they've really got to protect themselves, and that's
0: sometimes difficult. Jamie? You know, I have a question about the messaging and the emergency management side of this whole issue of, of extreme cold in areas that aren't quite used to dealing with it um, because, uh, you know, I, we talk about frostbite, and and that's a direct effect, but I can think of some so many um peripheral um, illness and injury factors that could um, contribute to problems for patients um, around things like trying to stay warm using auxiliary sources of heat in your home, whether it's a fireplace or you know if there's power loss and you don't safely use a generator or all those things that go along with trying to stay warm in extreme cold weather. Um, I'm wondering, Becky, is, is there anything in the messaging that, that you've seen that, that might help people get around um, you know, understanding what the risks are?
5: Yeah, that's a great point, Jamie. Um, I think a lot of it is is in the preparation ahead of time and thinking through how you would handle an extended power outage, you know, whether an extreme cold or extreme heat. Um, you know, in this case, it's centered around the holidays, which makes it even more difficult as people are already, you know, stressed and juggling a lot. Um, but like the key really is, you know, knowing what your heat source is going to be, whether that's a generator, make sure it's, you know, fueled up, it's run outside, you know, it's set up appropriately. Um, if it's anything indoors involving fire, make sure that that is set up safely. Uh, if you have kids around, making sure that they're not able to, to get near that, that it's not near anything flammable like a dried out Christmas tree. Um, and then making sure that you have you know, flashlights, plenty of, of blankets on hand, plenty of ways to stay warm um, that may not necessarily involve an external heat source like a fire or a generator if that's not something that's available to you. Uh, So it's yeah, it's just a lot of of thinking ahead, um, which is something that we've been doing a little bit of now that we have a a small child to think about in addition to just ourselves. You know, should there be a power outage? What does that look like? Um, Joe, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, you're, you're right on the money, Becky. It, it absolutely uh, is imperative to recall that many sources of heat also uh, are the result of combustion. And uh, obviously, carbon monoxide poisoning, et cetera, is much more common and seems to be, at least in the winter. Uh, and, and I think, uh, to Jamie's point earlier, folks who have other medical conditions, uh, for example, diabetes, where they may have... Uh, uh, peripheral neuropathy and don't sense that their extremities are getting cold uh, are at uh, much greater risk of not only peripheral cold injuries like frostbite and that sort of stuff, but, but generalized hypothermia uh, in and of itself, particularly if they are uh, not in an ideal housing situation or shelter uh, where they can uh, you know, have a place that has uh, some warmth to it.
1: Good point, Joe. Um, Becky, that kind of makes me think about the unhoused as they're being called lately. Um, I know some cities have warming shelters, but is that really enough? I mean, I don't know how these people can survive out there in this kind of weather. What do you think disaster planners are doing about that?
5: I mean, like you said, warming shelters are certainly being spun up in a lot of places right now um, that hopefully will reach as many people as possible. Uh, but there's still many more other vulnerable, vulnerable populations out there, you know, whether that's elderly people who are unable to care for themselves. Uh, I think especially, you know, around the holidays, it's, it's good to to check on your neighbors, check on those around you. If there's someone in your neighborhood who, you know, um, you know, either may not have a a stable shelter, may uh, need extra assistance, uh, maybe go over and offer to to help them out, check on them. Uh, It's, storms like this that are this intense and this severe I think really do lend and require that whole community approach and just making sure that we're checking in on those around us and making sure everyone has what they need or is able to get to somewhere that has has warmth supplies things like that
1: yeah absolutely Kyle thoughts
3: I think partnerships are really key here right because there's lots of fantastic um, outreach materials, preparedness information that's being shared from official sources, both like the National Weather Service, private weather companies, local television meteorologists, right? The list goes on. But being able to take those take this information of, right, here are the expected impacts, working with your local emergency management to really look at how are those impacts going to to translate to us locally and then partnering and, and sharing this actionable information with folks that are interacting with those vulnerable populations, right? Like crisis clinicians that may be interacting with these folks. Uh, the community has a, like a community paramedicine program, uh, those that are hosting overnight shelters, uh, perhaps like at churches, places of worship and, and other types of facilities, right? Those types of uh, individuals that are in a position to bring this information ultimately to our most vulnerable populations to help save their life, help keep them uh, safe and warm and provide them with resources to do so.
1: Great. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I just, I agree with everything that's been stated here. I mean, there's a lot of concern about um, the cold. I think maybe the good news in some ways is that in many places, this is not long lived, Outside of a couple days, we we saw back in February of twenty twenty one with the the major Arctic outbreak in Texas that caused all the power grid issues in in that state and and issues in other places. That was more of like a five six day type event. Uh, luckily, this is that's not the case for most places, um, but it still is a very uh, significant magnitude event um, with temperatures that will be near uh, monthly records in many places um, and pretty far south, too. So there's going to be a couple nights and a day or two of below freezing temperatures in uh, in Texas, which will put more strain on the power grid there and obviously um, impact the population that we were just talking about, not just in the northern plains in the Midwest where temperatures will be below zero, but uh, below freezing all the way down into places like uh, Houston and San Antonio and New Orleans, which uh, impacts those people in those areas as well.
1: Well, that's true, and, and when you're talking about um, areas that aren't used to that kind of uh, cold, and they're not sure how to do with it, or you know, the power grids can't handle it. I mean, that's a whole different thing. But Kyle, I you know, I've been thinking about you know my speed patrol career, and and I know that fog and wind, you know, can really add to the danger. For people skiing up there, I mean, I've gone up and all of a sudden there's a fog bank, and I don't know how the best way is to get down. But you know, how does wind feed into that besides the obvious cold factor?
3: So wind can play a huge factor in a having a great day or not so great day on the slopes uh, for the guests, but it is also a huge um, point of contention when it comes to mountain operations. Uh, That's one of the things that I'm looking at every morning is not just what did the wind do overnight uh, from a avalanche mitigation perspective. So what slopes have gotten loaded with snow overnight um, based on wind speed and direction and my experience there on the mountain. So what control methods and routes might we have to run that morning Um, Is that going to delay opening of uh, certain areas of terrain, but also the impacts that it has on the infrastructure on the ski hill, not just uh, buildings and things, but also lift operations, right? Those chairlifts. Um, they' are, they are designed to operate within a certain range of wind speeds from a certain wind direction and if that's exceeded, right you'll get chair lifts that run slower and some that even are now uh, so automated that they will automatically stop if wind speed gusts over a certain threshold for a certain period of time, impacting, uh, perhaps our ability to open one or more areas of the mountain for an extended period of time, especially if it's cross-loading that lift, right? And so you have chairs swinging side to side coming into the top terminal to unload, right? And that's not that's not a safe thing, uh, even at very low speeds. Additionally, um, especially here uh, in in Colorado and and other areas that have been affected by either um, like pests like. Uh, uh, the pine bark beetle that we had uh, several years ago here, as well as wildfires, you have lots of standing dead trees that are very vulnerable to high winds. And so uh, it's it's a danger to, to us and, and the public sometimes during high winds, we will occasionally have trees fall into runs often into open runs, but also sometimes that fall onto chairlift cables and and things as well. So we do a lot of mitigation in the summertime, but wintertime brings uh, lots of challenges, including the visibility piece, as you said, Sam. And we actually have a resident moose running around on our mountain. So uh, we want to make sure that we can see, see her from afar.
1: Oh, my goodness. Who would think? Joe, thoughts?
3: I don't know that I have
2: an awful lot else to add, honestly.
1: (laughs) You don't have a moose in Memphis. uh... (laughs) Jamie, throwing it back to you.
0: (laughs) Well, I I just think there's a lot to to, to keep keep in mind here, especially with the holidays. A lot of people are traveling. So there may be people traveling to areas where they're not as used to the cold uh, from warmer climes and um, make sure they're packing appropriately for the trip. And um, keeping an eye on the weather situation, if they have to rent a car and drive anywhere, um, you know, start thinking about maybe grabbing a few extra water bottles for the trip or things like that, keeping blankets in your car, that kind of thing, um, as Becky puts in chat here. Um, there's just a bunch of things you can do to make sure that you're a little safer during the holiday season as you travel to where you are so you can get safely to your destination and stay safe while you're there. Um and Joe, you know, we've talked about, you know, some clinical topics here tonight, but um it's always a great opportunity for reminding ourselves of the importance of continuing education and all the things that we need to learn and stay up to date on um, throughout the, the year as different situations are more likely to crop up.
2: Uh, Absolutely, Jamie. You know, it's the one thing about uh, disasters and preparation is that there's always something different happening and uh, we got to stay ahead of that.
0: And Paragon does such a great job of providing those types of resources for people that are preparing for disaster situations, whether it's extreme cold, storms, uh, you name it. Um, What kind of um, resources do you provide? Um, How can people get that customized for them and where can they find you?
2: Uh, Well, they can find uh, Paragon at paragonmedicalgroup.com on the web or on Facebook under the same name. Uh, They can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast, and we love to talk to people so that we can uh, understand what their needs are and build a program that uh, meets those and exceeds those needs uh, when it comes to preparedness. We have a very experienced team with uh, lots of field experience, and we love to share and we love to teach.
0: Excellent. And we appreciate your continued support of the disaster podcast. Um, Kyle, where can folks find you? You're, you're, it's great to have you on the show. It's been a while since we've had you on, but I know people do like to follow your updates and things.
3: Oh, thanks so much, Jamie. Uh, as, as I passed my eight-year anniversary here with the show, uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms under the handle WX Kyle Nelson. I'd love to connect with our listeners and continue the conversation. Excellent.
0: And uh, Becky, how about you?
3: Yep, I can be
5: found on Twitter and now also Mastodon at WXBEX. I have removed the underscore. Um, So it's just WXBEX. And yeah, uh, not posting a lot, but still sort of hanging out. We'll see where things go with these social media platforms.
0: I I completely hear you. (laughs) How about you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter.
4: I have not created a Mastodon account yet, but Twitter at wxdepo. D-E-P-O, also on the Disaster Podcast Facebook group.
0: Excellent. And Sam?
1: Well, I feel dumb because I've never heard of (laughs) Mastodon, but I haven't spent a lot of time on social media. But you will find me up there under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 uh, or in our Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And uh, Merry Christmas to all of you up there.
0: Jamie? Absolutely. And, of course, you can find me under the handle PodMedic. I'm in the Facebook group. I'm on DisasterPodcast.com. So look for us on all those platforms and in all those locations. And keep coming back here. We've got a great episode scheduled for next week that I think you're going to enjoy. Um, We uh, talk with an individual who's a responder who then became a patient. And that transition from being a caregiver to a patient um, is a unique challenge for people that that have a life-changing event. so we'll be talking a little bit about that in next week's episode, and I hope you'll come back for that. And in the meantime, we'll be back for the final uh, for the new year for our next episode that we record fresh. And I hope you'll um, you'll track in with us there. But uh, Sam, it's it's good to have everybody here in the group.
1: I am so excited about this. It's the best Christmas present we could have, and I hope that everybody can come back. I know Kyle will be pretty tight great to have with the conference back too. But Jamie, you know, what Kyle just said about his eight years, I, I think we're pushing 10 here on Disaster Podcast.
0: Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, we may have to
1: have a 10 year party. Right, Joe? I
2: hope so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Joe's always up for a party. But anyway, Merry Christmas all out there. We appreciate all of you. And stay safe and stay
3: warm.